scripture this morning is Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. Thank you, Luke, for writing that song and giving us that gift this morning. My heart needed that. This is the living word of God for us today. Before we dive into the text that Luke just sang for us, uh, I want to remind us about a couple of things. The first is in our regathering plan, we are entering into phase two. Literally this morning, you know, the first Sunday in June, we are in phase two. So here's what that means. We're continuing to meet online, obviously. Uh, but we wanna encourage you when you're ready, if you feel comfortable doing so, and you can do it in a way that's safe, to invite a few others over to your home to watch the service with you. Maybe some neighbors, maybe some friends, uh, maybe some folks that you've gotten to know in our church family or those you've gotten to know outside of our church family. This is a great first step to take. So you might not have been able to do that this morning, but maybe you are. If you are, uh, glad you're joining with us together. If not, we'd encourage you over the next few weeks, just maybe pick a Sunday that you'll be able to do that. Just a reminder, our services are not only streamed live online, they're also uh, put on our, our website that you can also view later. So maybe you could uh, do that a little later in the evening or later in the week as well. So that'll be phase two. We're all excited about regathering together in our two campuses on Sunday, July 5th. That won't be too long from now, one month from now. We're excited about that. We've decided to do something in the meantime uh, to continue to help prepare our hearts to gather together that I'm particularly excited about. Uh, many of you have been tuning in every other Wednesday night as Carl Carty and his wife Heather have led worship nights streamed online from their home. What we've decided to do is do one more of those uh, on June 17th. It will be streamed online, but it will also be happening right here at the Brentwood campus out on our lawn. 
And so if you want to come join us that night, bring your family, bring some friends, bring lawn chairs, picnic blankets. We would love to have you join us for that final worship night on Wednesday, June 17th, right here. We've uh, kind of jokingly called it On Lawn Worship. And we would love to have you there with us on June 17th. More information will be coming. All right, it has been a heavy, um, I was gonna say week, and then I thought two weeks, and then I thought two months, and I thought three months. It's just been a heavy time. And, you know, we've already been singing, God's still in control, he's still on the throne. There's still so much to rejoice in, but it's also good and right that there's a part of us right now that would lament, that would grieve, that would feel a sense of unsettledness. Uh, in just a moment, you're gonna see some images on the screen and, and I'm not gonna give any commentary. I just want you to take these images in and think about what thoughts come to your mind, what emotions, desires come to your mind as you watch these images. And all of these are images from the past three months. Let's take a look. I know for me, those images stir a lot of thought, a lot of emotion, a lot of deep desire and all these things are stirred up and I haven't really known what to do with it. And, and I, I think I speak for most of us when I say, we've all been asking, what do I do? How am I to think about this? How am I to feel about this? How am I to respond to this? And you know, God's given us a mission here at Fellowship Bible Church to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And so we, we talk that that starts with our minds and being informed by God's word on, on how we think about things. And then we recognize that through our emotions and desires and choices, God's word and God's voice speaking through the scripture needs to anchor us, needs to inform us. And, and so where I wanted to go this morning as we thought and prayed hard about this service is we said, where else would we go in a time of chaos other than the truth of God's word? Other than to the anchor that God's word is to our soul because that's what we need the most. As, as much now as ever before, we need to go to the scripture. We need to go to God's word. We need to hear from God speaking through the text to us in these times. And so we've decided to do just that this morning. 
We've made a decision to delay the start of our new series by a week so that we can take another step in this important conversation about racial reconciliation and, and, and unity in the body and racism and these things that are now suddenly uh, again back in the public consciousness. And the reason I say a next step in this important conversation is I want to remind you, for those of you that are at our Brentwood congregation, if you were here on March 8th, which happened to be the very last Sunday that we were gathered in person, uh, you heard an, an interview that Lloyd did with J.R. Garrett, uh, and we talked about these issues, and it, it fit in, in context of the Colossians text that we were in, but we invited J.R. to come. And I want to show you just a brief clip from that just to remind us. And if you haven't watched this, it's posted online. I want to encourage you to watch it. It's our service from March 8th. Let's take a look. And what we're going to talk about this morning is going to, it could offend some. It's going to, you know, there's a spectrum in the room, you know, some, where you land on, on, on certain things. Here's what we know and here's what we're going to agree upon on the front end. It's not our opinion that matters most. It's what the Bible says that matters most. And we are a people submitted to the truth of God's word. Um, with that, I'm gonna invite someone most of you don't know, J.R. Garrett, to come on up and join me. Uh, J.R., you're gonna know J.R. after these next few moments. J.R., he and his wife Portia and their kids are members at Fellowship Franklin. So this is why Rob and I always say, you know, there's two, one church, two congregations. So you may not, you don't know the folks down at Franklin, but they know J.R. because he's been a member there for many years. I'm gonna let JR tell a little bit of his story. What I want you to know is uh, JR and I and Rob have had some very frank and direct conversations about engaging, you know, engaging around this unity of the body and what it looks like to live as the people of God, regardless of race and sex and circumcised, uncir you know, all these things. It's, it's one body, and um, we're gonna have a conversation with you. And, uh, I didn't plan on it, but last service I actually said, does anybody have any questions? And lo and behold, there were a few. And uh, it, was, it was very, very helpful. I didn't but plan on it either. He didn't plan on it either. So, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll give you that uh, option here in a minute. But I want JR to, I'm gonna let him tell part of his story. Let's listen. Let's learn. Firstly, I'm glad you referenced to it being from the text, right? Because that's where a lot of the conversation I have with um, my, my peers are, I wanted to be from what God's called us to biblically, yeah. right? And so the issue I found is that um, a lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ don't believe that this is actually a biblical issue. They believe it's a social issue, and I believe otherwise. I mm -hmm. believe that how we engage with people that look different than us is absolutely a biblical issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was our very last live, or, or, or I should say, in-person worship service at the Brentwood campus, March 8th. Now, I, I know those of you at Franklin campus are thinking, hold on, we missed out on that. And two things. One is we want to encourage you to watch it if you haven't. Second of all, we will find an opportunity when we're back together again to be able to hear from JR. Because here, here's what I found. I mean, by God's grace, that was recent. And that conversation and, and entering into those conversations with JR and others has prepared my heart for where we are at this moment. God knows 
all of this and he knows what's coming. So here's what we want to do this morning is we want to take a next step in that same conversation. So what, what, I, what we've decided to do is, is that we want to spend some time in God's word and, and think about it this way. We need to, to have a biblical theology for how to think about these things so that we can know what to say and what to do. And so we're, we can't do that exhaustively this morning by any means. I'm just going to touch on some incredibly powerful themes from scripture. Lloyd and JR both said it really well in that, that clip you just saw. It matters what the Bible says. And if we're not being consistent with what God's word says, there's, there's no voice that I want to have a, a part of the conversation except what would flow through me through the truth of God's word. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter six, and we're going to spend some time in the first part of the Lord's Prayer, you know, that we've already heard sung over us this morning by Luke. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer is just a remarkable passage. It's obviously well known. In fact, it's so well known that sometimes we can't hear it anymore because it seems so familiar to us. But it's just 52 words long in, in the English translation that we have here. And we're only going to spend time this morning in the first 22 words. But I am telling you guys, there are some concepts here in just these 22 words that speak directly to what our emotions and desires and choices and thoughts should be around all of these issues that we've been engaging in over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so look with me, if you will, in your copy of God's Word, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 9. And this is what Jesus is going to say as he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. By the way, that just means may your name be glorified. May your name be great. May your name be lifted up. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you've studied the Lord's Prayer, and we did that through our, our text devotionals uh, very, very recently, uh, you'll know that this is the heart of the prayer. This idea that, that it's not about my will, it's not about my priorities, it's about God's will, it's about his kingdom, it's about his name. This is the heart of the prayer. And a lot of times we have some resistance against that because it doesn't kind of fit our own agendas. But what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, this is where you start. And by the way, what I love about this prayer is it's not just about what Jesus is calling us to pray for. It's about what Jesus is calling us to live for. So the idea that we should start with God's name, that we should start with his kingdom, both in our words, our thoughts, and everything that we do, you might say it this way. Um, Jesus is calling for us to make his kingdom our priority. So our priority needs to be, it's hard to spell sometimes when I'm writing on this thing. Our priority needs to be his kingdom. That's what this prayer is all about. Our priority is the kingdom of God. Now listen, I just want you to hear, hear this from a heart that's been wrestling with this myself. That means if my priority is God's kingdom, that means that that's above my own family, that that's ab above any social cause, that that's above uh, my favorite sports team, that, that that's above the patriotism to my nation, that's above a political party that I, I might more closely identify with. God's kingdom's above all that. God's kingdom is first and foremost in our thoughts and minds. Our priority should be and must be the kingdom of God. Now, here's the first problem that you're gonna have with this. What is the kingdom of God? <laughs> what in the world is Jesus talking about? There, there's all kinds of things that have been written. You know, is he talking just about heaven? You know, like what's to come, that that should be our priority is just heaven, you know? And you, you know, am, am I to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good? I wanna get that thought out of your mind. <laughs> 
When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about just our concept of heaven. In fact, I don't think that that's actually a very helpful way to think about the kingdom of God at all, especially the fact that most of us don't have a very good concept of heaven. There's much more to this concept that that is both about heaven, it's about where we'll be with Christ eternally, but it's also about what's happening right here and right now. And this is what I want to unpack for you a little bit. We need the concept of the kingdom of God to fuel our theology for how we think about all things, honestly, but this issue in particular, and I want to show you why. So in order to help you understand what this kingdom of God is all about, this kingdom that's supposed to be our top priority, I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 9. So let's go back backwards in our Bible, 750 years before the time of Christ. The prophet Isaiah, God spoke through him and gave him some words about the coming kingdom. And I'll start in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. Very familiar passage. You'll, you'll think Christmas as soon as, as soon as I read this. For to us a child is born. Now he's all future tense he's talking about here. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, why do I take us to this passage? Remember, it's because you've got to know what the kingdom of God is all about and it's going to relate to the current issues that we're in. There are two words that are used in this text that are also used in most other Old Testament texts that are describing the kingdom of God. And I'm going to circle these two words for you. The first one is justice and the second one is righteousness. All over the Old Testament, when you're reading prophecies and sometimes in the Psalms, when it's talking about the kingdom of God, very often these two words are gonna be used together to describe the kingdom. They're a little bit like twins. They go together. So we need to understand these words. I'm gonna define them for you. I'm gonna start with righteousness and you'll see why I'm gonna start with righteousness in a minute. The best way to think about righteousness is simply right living right living. Now, it's important to note that that means as God defines right living, not as anyone else defines right living. So that's righteousness. Now, interestingly, in English, we tend to think of that individualized, like, am, am I living right? In the Hebrew context, and in fact, if you dig into this word in Hebrew, what you find is it has, it's a very communal word. It's about the righteousness of someone and the relationships with others around them. Are they living right with other people? That's the concept of righteousness. It's more communal than individual when it's used in this context, talking about the kingdom of God, which makes it very connected to our second key word, justice. Justice is an important Hebrew word, mishpat. Uh, here's the best way I know to define justice for you according to uh, what it means in the Hebrew. It means relational righteousness. Relational righteousness. Now, isn't that interesting? 
again, we tend to think of justice a little more individually. It's like, I, I, I need the world to be fair to me and my family. What the Bible is talking about is justice is actually about right relationships among a community of people. It's very closely tied to righteousness. In fact, they actually, the origin comes from the same Hebrew root. So you have this idea of relational righteousness, people living rightly with one another, and those are the two most common words in the Old Testament used to describe the coming kingdom. Isn't that interesting? Now, I have left off a very important part, the most important critical part. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. And specifically, you cannot have a kingdom of justice and righteousness without a particular king. Who is this king that, that will rule over this kingdom of God? Well, let's go back a verse, verse six of this same passage. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And, and oh, look at this last title, the Prince of Peace. Let's talk about one more key word, peace, the Hebrew word shalom. We've talked about that word a lot at fellowship. You know what it means? It, it's not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness. That's what shalom is all about. Now, wholeness is the idea of, of people are, are put together whole, but also a group of people, a community, a body, a fellowship, a city, a nation, a, a, a kingdom is put together in a way that's whole, that is complete. That's this idea of peace or shalom. Now, now hear me clearly on this. There can be no wholeness apart from the prince of wholeness. Do you see this? Now, before we get back to the Lord's Prayer, which is where we're going to land, I, I want to take you to one more place in the scripture, one more place in the story. So we've spent time in Matthew where Jesus is teaching them to pray for the kingdom. We've spent time in Isaiah, which explains what the kingdom's all about. It's a kingdom of righteousness and justice, right relationships. And it's led by a prince, the prince of peace, the prince of wholeness. Now I wanna look at the place in the scripture that describes what that kingdom will look like when it's here in full, when it's in its fullness. And for that, we go to the book of Revelation, to another prophecy, but, but this one is still ahead of us. So Revelation chapter seven, we get a prophetic glimpse of where all this kingdom is heading. And I wanna read to you these two verses, Revelation seven, starting in verse nine. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, or I'm sorry, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Do you see the picture of what's to come? Now, now let, me, let me put some pieces together for you here. You have Jesus saying you need to pray for the arrival of this kingdom, that, that, that what's true about the heavenly kingdom would be true here even in an increasing way in this earthly kingdom. You, you know what that kingdom looks like because Isaiah has described it to you. It's right relationships between people under the banner of this prince, 
the Prince of Peace. And now we see what it will look like in the future when it's here in full, which is a massive diversity of people all over. No one can count them. And guess where they're from? Are they from Israel only? Oh no. They are from all tribes and peoples and languages. Hey, praise God that that's true because we would not be there if that nation was not going to be diverse, if that kingdom rather was not going to be diverse like that. Most of us are Hebrew people. Now, this has been God's plan all along. Jesus came to be the catalyst for it, to initiate the kingdom and he will come again to bring it into its fullness. And so now that you know a little bit more about what God's kingdom looks like and who is king over it, I want you to now think about our day. I want you to think about the news. I want you to think about your social media. How well right now does our society and and, and our community reflect the kingdom of God? Well, that's a silly question, you know. Of course it doesn't. And, and, and you could argue, well, that, the Bible's not saying that, that it should at this moment in time. And you're right. Let, let me explain something, though. Um, the, the values that we're experiencing played out right now in our society, and this has always been true. It's not unique to our day, are, are not values of the kingdom of God. They're actually values of a different kingdom. They're values of what the Bible calls the kingdom of darkness. And they're values of that kingdom's monarch. You know who rules over the kingdom of darkness? The prince of darkness. That's one of the names that the scripture gives for Satan, the enemy of God. So we're living right now in what the Bible says, the kingdom of darkness, and we're waiting for, we're hoping for the arrival of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God, when Jesus comes to bring it in in full. But here's where it gets interesting. When Jesus arrived the first time, he, he didn't just say pray for the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is a hand. The kingdom is arriving. The kingdom is here. How can that be, you say? We're not there yet. Here's the answer. Wherever the Prince of Peace is on his throne, God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is present. Wherever Jesus is king, wherever he is acknowledged as king, that is a representation. That is an image. That is a picture. That is a taste of the coming kingdom of God where all creation will be under the rulership of Jesus Christ. So even though right now we live in a kingdom of darkness, we're called to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. So Jesus calls us salt and light on the earth where we are right now. Salt gives someone a flavor of something. Light gives someone a glimpse of something. We are called to be the flavor and the glimpse of the kingdom of God on this earth. That's us, the church. That's what God calls us to be. Now, sometimes, and and I'm just gonna level with you, this has been true for me. Sometimes we get too comfortable in this kingdom. Can I just say that? And, And I think that's especially easy to do in this area, which I love so much because it's a wonderful area to live in. But listen, we forget sometimes that the kingdom of darkness is dark. Make no mistake, There are spiritual realities behind the chaos that we see all around us right now. Make no mistake as well, and I know you know this, but we've got to be reminded of this. There is no political party or no national movement or no government or no politician who will rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. That will not happen. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so this is where I want your mind to go now with all the mess around us in mind. I want you to think about the cross. I want you to understand that the cross was the moment in time where God the Father took all the unrighteousness, all the injustice, all the brokenness, the lack of peace, the lack of wholeness in this entire world, which includes separation, which includes loneliness, which includes uh, um, sin of all kinds, sexual sins, sins of pride, sins of ambition, sins of greed, sins of racism, all of these things, and put it squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. All the injustice, all the unrighteousness, on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And guess whose sins were there? My sins. The sins of my own heart. Your sins. The sins of your own heart. Every one of us. And Jesus took it. And he bore it. And he redeemed it. He defeated the prince of darkness. He emerged as the prince of peace. And so now he's calling out to everyone. He's saying, listen, if you want to live in this kingdom, (laughs) turn from your old belief system and put your faith in me. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I are stewards of. With all that said, and I hope you've been tracking through this because it really matters, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. And and let's reflect on these very simple words and then we're going to apply them to, to where we are right now with all the racial tension. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the key phrase that I want you to think about. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I hope that has a little bit of new meaning now that you can picture what the values are of God's kingdom. Now, here's what I've come to realize from my own heart. I cannot just bemoan how broken our society has become. I must speak and I must act purposefully to make the values of God's kingdom, particularly the values of righteousness and justice all over the Old Testament, to make those values visible so that people are drawn to my king. That's part of the calling that God has on my life. It's not unique to me. Every Christian has that same calling. Another way to think about it is we as Christians must offer an alternative way of thinking and living that looks more like the kingdom of God and less like a kingdom of our own making. And I know I, for one, have not taken that role seriously through much of my life. So we're going to apply this directly, specifically to the issues of our day. And and I just want to name what I believe is going on based on God's word speaking through us or to us this morning. First of all, prejudice and racism have been with us for a long, long time. It's not new. You see examples in scripture. We see examples in modern times, in our, our, our parents' times, our grandparents' times, and all, all the way back. Nothing new under the sun. And, and here's what else we should remember. Despite the best efforts of our government, or any government for that matter, these sins persist. Why do they keep persisting? Because at their core, they're heart problems. Racism is not a police problem. Racism is not a media problem. Racism is a heart problem. And here's the thing, it has no place in the kingdom of God. And we know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It has no place in the kingdom of God. And therefore, this next part's maybe gonna push us a little bit more. Therefore, it must have no place in a community that claims Jesus as king. So what do we do? Well, I know for me and and some others I've talked to the last couple weeks, it's been really far too easy just to say, well, it's not a problem for me, so it's just not a problem. Look around. I I can no longer say it's not a problem. I I don't think we, 
all of us that have kind of been, been, been saying that or feeling that, whether it's spoken or not for quite a long time, I'm not sure that we've had eyes to see or ears to hear. But one of the gifts that I believe God is giving us in this particular moment is, is our attention is on this. Our eyes are open, I hope. Our ears are open, I hope. So what do we do? Two things. Two things that I want to call us to. And we'll try to get this as specific as we can. I know everybody's asking, what do I do? And, and honestly, that's a hard question to ask or answer because this is a very complex issue. And, and I'm, I'm sure that there'll be things that I'll say here that, that some of you will resonate with and others of you um, may not. But I pray, I pray for all of us that God would be moving in our hearts around these questions. Here's two things that I would encourage you to do. Number one, we say this a lot here. We have to say it again because it matters so much. Number one is we must start with your own heart. And Joe, if you could help me by putting that on the screen. This, the iPad's not working right now. Start with your own heart. So in order for us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then that kingdom must first start here. And what should that kingdom look like? A kingdom of righteousness and justice, right relationships with people that, that, that honors and, and even I think anticipates the diversity of the kingdom of God, which is how he's designed it all along. I want to share with you something I heard this week from Crawford Loritz. Crawford is an African-American pastor of Fellowship Bible Church. So it's kind of one of our sister churches in, in the Atlanta area, in Roswell, Georgia. And, uh, and he's had a lot to say that's been so good and helpful, not just in these weeks, but over a long period of time about these issues. And this is one of the things he said this week that really got my own heart. He said, it's not enough to say, I'm not racist. He said, it's not enough just to say that. We, as a church, need to be anti-racism. Now, I'll be honest, when I first thought that, I was like, oh, okay, where's this going? And then and he said this, he says, listen, it's a sin. We know it's a sin. So just like we should be anti-lying and, and we should be anti-stealing and we should be anti-pornography, we should be anti-racism. And, and I thought about that. And I thought, okay, it's, it's been pretty easy for me to say, well, I'm not racist, but ha have I ever actually embodied that sense of, well, I'm gonna actually be against something because it's a sin and I know sin dishonors God and wrecks people. So here's how this might play out for you. You're in a conversation and, and someone says something that seems like, man, I, I don't think they're, they're, they're really in tune to God's heart on this issue. Maybe what you're thinking and feeling. And in my past, I kind of probably just wouldn't even say anything. So I'm thinking, well, it's kind of their problem. It's not my problem. What I think Crawford is challenging us to do is we need to be against this. We need to speak out and act as the Spirit leads us to. We need to have our hearts dead set against this when we encounter it. So I know for me what that started with is just by humbly asking God to transform my heart. And, and that's what I would encourage all us to do. And by the way, this is not something that white people just need to do. All people, all people need to do this. And, and I know many of you are just starting your own heart. What's there? When, when, if you're a white person, you're thinking about the black community, what, what, what's there? What comes to your mind? What, what, are your, what are your thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices related to that? If you're a, a, a black man or woman and you think about the white community around you and, and the government and for it, what, what comes in your mind? What are your thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices? We all have to start there. Um, I've got to tell you one more thing about my own heart because something just pierced me. Um, this is a lunch that I had with J.R. Garrett. This goes back 
a number of months ago. He and I were talking and, and he referenced this passage from Revelation that I read a little bit ago where, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered around. You know, that's, that's the picture of the kingdom in its fullness. And J.R. said this, he said it with a lot of grace, all right? He said, I wonder how many Christians around me see the diversity as something they look forward to rather than something they'll have to get used to. And guys, can, can I just be courageously real with you and say at that moment, the spirit pierced my own heart and he was naming me? I've read that text, I've read that passage and what's kind of come to my mind is I'm like, okay, well, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> that's cool, I, I, I'm sure that, that that'll be great. You know, but that's maybe not what I envision when I think about the spectacularness of God's glory in heaven. The, this is me. This is my heart. I'm laying it bare with you this morning. This is how I'm being challenged. We have to start with our own hearts. The second thing that we have to do is bear one another's burdens. Number two, bear one another's burdens. And, and I don't have a lot of time to speak on this, but man, it's so important. One of the things that's helped me most in the last couple of weeks is by listening to Christians who are black, Christian men, Christian women who are black, tell, tell me about their thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices around all this. Uh, here's something I needed to remember, and I think many of us need to remember this. Fellow followers of Jesus are our family. They share more with us, scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, the reality is they share more with us than people outside of the faith that may be our same blood or our same affinities, you see. So I decided that this time I was going to listen to them more intentionally than I had in the past, and I learned some things. And let me just tell you something very important that I learned. I learned that the murder of George Floyd was one incident in a long line of tragic and sinful actions. And the result of these dominoes has placed an enormous burden of grief and fear on the shoulders of our black brothers and sisters. And I'm not just talking about that in a politically correct sense or in a generalized way. I'm talking about the conversations that I have personally had. There is a burden that they are carrying, a burden of sadness, a burden, some, of fear, a burden of exhaustion. We have an opportunity. I would say we have a responsibility to bear the burden with the members of our family. Now, what, is, what does that look like? Well, we've got a lot to learn. You know, we, we've got a lot to learn and figure out and, and do. And, and, and I know for some of you, you're thinking, oh man, I hope it doesn't look like that. I hope it doesn't look like this. Can, can you allow the Holy Spirit to lead us as the Holy Spirit leads you? That's my prayer. Open hands to the work of God in this church, in my heart, in our hearts. We have the responsibility to bear the burdens with our brothers and sisters who are wrestling, who are struggling, who are exhausted, who are worn out, who are confused, who some of them are, are losing hope. Galatians 6.2 reminds us, bear one another's burdens, listen to this next part, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Guys, I, I wanna be all about what Christ wants for me. I want our church to be all about what Christ wants for our church. This is really clear. This is really specific. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see how this connects to the kingdom of God? Relational rightness, relational unity under the kingship of Jesus together. Let me say it as boldly as I know how to do. It is time, I believe, for those of us, particularly those of us who are white, 
to come alongside and bear some of the burden. To together speak out for and to act for the values of the kingdom of God, because that's what it's all about. It's not about a social agenda. It's not about political correctness. We need to speak out and embody the values of the kingdom of God, righteousness and justice and peace. And we do all that in the name of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. We had a staff meeting earlier this week and uh, we're all in line right now for our staff meetings, but, but we were talking about this online and, and I just asked, I said, hey, who'd like to share something that you've been wrestling with or thinking or feeling along these lines? And one of the people that spoke up was Larry Kayser. Many of you know Larry. He's, he's one of our elders. He's also our pastor of marriage ministry here at Fellowship. And I just thought what Larry shared was so helpful because it really was in line with this idea of start with your heart and bear one another's burden. So I've asked Larry to come up here and share with you what he shared with us. And then after he does that, Larry is going to lead us as we celebrate the Lord's table before we conclude our service. Larry, thanks for being here. Thanks, Rob. I get a chance to come this morning and I get to share a story of hope with you. And you know, I don't know about you, and. and but when I watch the news media over the last few weeks um, and I see the, uh, just the unrest and I see the heartache and I see the pain and I see the loss and, and I, I feel all these emotions. I, I feel uh, frustrated. I feel sad. I feel um, sometimes angry even. I have this whole gamut of emotions. But what can happen to me is those things flood my heart and my mind is that I can just get stuck, almost a kind of paralysis, and I really, I don't know what to do. And so this last few days, this last week, I've been asking the Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? What can I do about what's going on in this world? And I think partly in response to that request, the Spirit of God brought me back to a story that happened in my first few years here at Fellowship as I was part of a quarterly Bible study at Morningstar Missionary Baptist Church, which is in Nashville, and it is predominantly a black church. And it was really an awesome thing this study was about. There were probably roughly 20 guys there or so, and it was about half Morningstar guys and about half Fellowship guys. And one of the things that we did very early on in the study is we simply asked the question one morning, how many of you have ever seen a family member or a friend that's been shot? And nearly every Morning Star man put his hand up and no one from fellowship put their hand up. And so immediately I knew, wow, we are really looking at life through a different set of eyeballs, that is for sure. So a few weeks later, as we got further into our study, one morning, one of the men from fellowship sort of stuck his hand up and said, hey, I need, to, I need to share something. And so sure. And as he got up to talk, his face, you could tell that he was just fighting tears back. And he began to tell a story that when he was in his senior year in college, he was in a fraternity. And this fraternity was getting ready to have a vote to decide whether or not they were gonna allow black men into the fraternity. As he continued to share the story, his, he worked harder and harder to fight back the tears. 
And finally, he simply confessed, I just got to tell you guys, I voted no. And as he said that, the tears came. And he said, it is one of the great regrets of my adult life. And I have felt shame over it all these years. And I've got to ask for your forgiveness. And you know what happened? is nearly every guy from Morningstar in that little small church basement got up, walked to the other side of the room, surrounded him, laid their hands on him. They prayed, they wept, they granted forgiveness. And while we were in that little basement, we had an opportunity to see a picture of reconciliation of healing, of grace, of the movement of God's spirit. And the thing that stuck with me so powerfully about that is that that guy didn't let fear or shame push away the impulse of God's spirit in that moment to stand up and confess something like that in that whole room. And what I want to do, see, I think God brought that to my heart to remind me It doesn't have to be a gigantic gesture. It has to be a surrendered, obedient gesture when God's spirit tries to lead us. And here's what I know is true, that if we'll ask God, because his spirit's always at work, if we'll ask God, where do you want me to move? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? That God likely already has you in a relationship potentially at work or in your neighborhood or in an exercise class or your child's school where you can invite them over. You could go make a lunch appointment. You could have kids over to your house. You could do any number of things. And here's what I know is true, that this reconciliation most often is going to happen one choice, one spirit-led choice, one relationship one moment at a time. And there's not one of us who can't surrender our heart to God's work in us in that way. And so what I, I, I love that story and it, God's definitely used it to already stir my heart to get in touch with three different people this week for me. So as I come out of that story, here's what I know is true, that without the cross of Christ, Without the grace of God, none of us are going to get there. So I want to transition us now to a time of communion. And so I hope you've been able to gather some elements and bring them so that you could be ready to do this. But, you know, communion is, it's such a powerful morning to share communion because of what it reminds us. And so when we think about that, one thing I know for sure that we we must go back to the cross, the forgiving grace of the one who understands what it means to be betrayed and unjustly accused. And the cross is an overwhelming picture of the empathy of our Savior who knows what it means to suffer unjustly. And the reason that we share communion as often as we can is because we need the reminder of the willingness of Jesus to suffer wrong for the sake of others. So this morning, I want you to go ahead and take the bread. And I want you to just think about this. We're not doing it just in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. But we're going to take the bread this morning and the cup to give us the spiritual courage and strength to recommit 
to loving our neighbor the way Jesus loves, the way we've been commanded to love ourselves and to join the pain of those around us the way that Jesus was willing to join in ours. So why don't you take the bread. 1 Corinthians 11 says that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, and just think a moment about that word betrayed. On the night he was betrayed in the very room with the betrayer, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. So remember, his body and his blood is this profound symbol of his reconciliation with us. Let's take the cup. I would just, uh, I'd love to spend just a minute or so just getting a chance to pray for you, over you. So if you're home, grab somebody's hand, your spouse or a child or maybe several hands, and just close your eyes and bow and listen to these words and join together with me as I pray them for you and over you. Father, we cry out and groan for a world in pain. We recognize that your church, your people all over this globe, they're here to bring the hope and grace of the gospel to all people, to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Father, would you give us the courage to begin with our own heart, to remind each of us that our lives are not just about ourselves. To help us look inside at our own struggle with sin, self-protection, self-righteousness, fear, comfort, and control. Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you give us the willing courage to see if there's any racism down in my own soul that cries out for repentance, forgiveness? Would you help us surrender our resistance to have our own lives disrupted for the sake of others. Father, would you help us to resist the need to defend? Instead, would you grant all of us a willing humility to listen, to empathize, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to weep with those who weep? And would you help us not to allow this season to pass without real change, without real surrender in our own hearts, our own choices, our own desires, and our willingness to take specific steps of obedience or movement towards a neighbor, a friend, a workmate, or someone that you know who's hurting. Lord, we need the power of your spirit to energize the hope that is within us to engage in a changing and struggling world. Help us love like Jesus loved. Your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.